Welcome to Greatness, where the world's leading thinkers share their ideas about how to create greatness. Great leaders, great teams, and great organizations. Why be good when you can be great? This is Gretchen Gable. I am so excited today to welcome the chairman and founder of Conversant to the Greatness podcast. Welcome, Mickey Connolly. Well, thank you very much, ma'am. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. So today's topic for us to discuss is our thinking around community. That's an incredibly important word to the Conversant team and our community of friends and clients, et cetera. And and Mickey, I'm really curious to start out with, when did your thinking about community first start coalescing? I know you've been thinking about these theories and things for quite some time. When did you start thinking about the word community and how important it is to what we do? Wow. Okay. I'm going to just tell you what came to mind when you said that. And I think this was a coalescing moment not the first moment, but one where the practical power of it really struck me. So years ago, I was uh, late at night with an executive in a after hours conference in a conference in a headquarters of a Fortune 100 company, and uh, she was the senior person on site, which means in their emergency, they know exactly where she is at all times. And so somebody came in and told her that they needed her immediately. And she left the room and came back and told me that there had been one of the company planes had landed at a nearby airport with one fewer person in it than boarded it. Wow. And they she wanted to immediately go to the airport and she asked me if I would go with her. And so we did. And on the way there, you know, I was calling people and finding out from my connections, the kind of plane, how many people would have been on it, you know, how did it function, et cetera. And we got there. Well, what you had there was the county sheriffs, the local police department, people from the national transportation safety board, uh, people from the airport security, from the company security itself that we were with. And it was one of those moments where everybody was jockeying for who's in charge of the scene. Mm. And what I remember about that night is that we really had to get to the bottom of what happened. And in order to do that, the people that were still there all had to be interviewed. It had to be quickly and it couldn't be, oh, we're the FBI and you're not, we're handling this. Uh, so what happened is we got together and because the CEO was then on site and who trusted us and the CEO asked that we convene, how's the site going to be managed? And I remember asking them, what is the absolute most important thing that we're here to address? And one of the people said, we're here to secure the safety of people involved in this and to make sure what we learn has people be more safe going forward. Mm. And I just went around the room and I asked everybody uh, if that rang true for them. And every person gave some version of why that was valid. And so then we just asked, okay, if we're going to do that 
as rapidly as we can. We're going to secure the safety of the people here and learn things that cure the safety of people in the future. What if we cared nothing about which organization we were with? How would we manage this? And one of the people stepped forward and made some suggestions and boom, all of a sudden, everybody was in motion and it didn't matter what badge you had on. Mm. And what happened is we got to the bottom of this and it got solved and it was really tragic. Uh, the person actually committed suicide by jumping out of the plane. Mm. And because she was the only person in the back of the plane and this plane was not pressurized, it was able to happen without somebody else noticing it, just thinking there was a huge problem with the door open and shut. But what really mattered is that all those people, I was stunned by how they came together and weren't fighting with each other. And they took care of the pilots who were just deeply disturbed and all the other people who'd been on that flight who were in enormous emotional and mental stress and uh, taking care of everybody related to this. And I just saw in that moment that a community can be formed around a purpose. Mm. And that what really unlocked it was that, and that was many years ago. Uh, so, you know, we've been on many in our history, uh, police and military scenes. And since then, it just has always stuck with me about how the first thing we have to do is arrive at a purpose that holds people together and guides them with mutual resolve. So <laughs> that's what came to mind when you asked me the question. That's a great um, that's a great story, obviously a tragic story, but the fact that they came together in community around this purpose. And, you know, we use this word community a lot. There's a lot of words, you know, I was talking yesterday about leadership and, and words that we just use and we don't really deeply think about what that word means. You think more deeply about words than any person that I've ever had the pleasure of spending time with. It's causing me to think more deeply about all the words that I use. But, but what do we mean by true community? What does that mean? From our perspective and conversant, you know, our company, that community is a sense of belonging. And it's a belonging that comes from being rooted in common values and common purpose. It's an experience of being in something together and looking out for one another along the way to producing some kind of impact, some contribution that everybody feels like they have a stake in. So that sense of belonging is really fundamental to community. And I think if you ask people some of the favorite stories in their lives, you it's amazing how often it's about being with a group of people with a strong sense of belonging, with common values and common purpose, looking out for one another. Mm-hmm. So that's what we mean by it, is it's people who are up to something together that requires that they be collectively better than any one of them can possibly be individual, individually, and that it's something that energizes people to make that difference, to live true to that purpose. Yeah, I was rereading the Vitality Imperative last night and in uh, preparation for this, your amazing book, um, The Vitality Imperative, on so many great philosophical things. And I wrote down the In This Together as a quote from the book. Um, how, how do you, I mean, I think right now with the, with the, you know, we're recording this in the, in the throes of a lockdown in Melbourne, Australia, where I am, where we're definitely all in it together, where we, whether we want to be or not. But I think this concept is so critical. How do we create community? What does that look like as a leader? 
Well, I think it is important to bring up the issue of crisis because the one that I told you about a few minutes ago, as well as what's happening for people around the world, uh, you're in Australia. And as you know, there have been horrific crises in terms of uh, wildfires there, for instance, and in New Zealand with earthquakes. And in all of those environments, it tends to promote people coming together. Mm. However, I want to know, what do we learn from that that doesn't require a crisis mm. in order for us to come together? Mm. And I think the crisis tends to melt our petty differences and leave us in the presence of what matters. So mm. that tells me that the formation of any community requires coming up with something that matters to enough people that a community forms around it. Mm. Uh, and I think there's an important difference between a community and a team. Because a team can form around a goal. And as long as you've got a goal, you have a source of coordination and the team can all figure out who's doing what, where, when to produce it. A community is formed around a purpose. And that purpose will endure from goal to goal to goal. One example of this that I like is, you know, there's a community that was formed many years ago, I think in the late 30s, like 1938, around the purpose of researching and solving the problems that threaten children. Mm. That's a pretty good purpose, that one. And the first thing they took on was the formation of the National Foundation for Infantile Paralysis, uh, which was polio. And that organization became the March of Dimes and have stayed true to that researching and solving the problems that threaten children for what is this, 80 years now or 80 some years. And they moved from polio as the focus and, and bringing people all over the world together. I remember some of their experiments in different countries around the world that they hosted. Uh, there was no barrier like, oh, wait a minute, this is the United States that's going to solve polio. No, this was a terrifying problem. And they actually brought people together across governments and countries and continents all to work on it and raised money and a grant actually led to the extraordinary uh, work of Jonas Salk, who ended up coming up with the vaccine that when it was ultimately successful, let's just say, solved a lot of problems and things that threaten children. And then they moved on. So the purpose endures and they went on to a focus on birth defects and then they went on to focus on healthy pregnancy and the crisis of premature birth and what that does to children. And so they can move from goal to goal and through leader and leader and leader. So it endures because the purpose itself endures. Mm. And I, I think that that's really something that doesn't require an emergency. You can keep the purpose alive and look for opportunities to turn that purpose into some beneficial contribution. Yeah, that's a great story. And so you, you, start, you talked about a sense of belonging that is rooted in common values. So how, what, what does that look like, the, the common value part of creating an enduring community and an enduring purpose? So uh, another group that we have the good fortune to work with is the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. They also have a purpose, and it's to uh, interpret and conserve the Earth's biological diversity through the study of birds. Mm. 
these are people who really believe that birds are the predictors of the health of the planet and have got enormous scientific evidence behind that assertion. And uh, they also have got a value that they call radical collaboration. (laughs) (laughs) That the problems involving the biological diversity of the planet require radical collaboration. And that's a fundamental value of theirs that they say fits with, oh, if you're going to take on the biological diversity, the healthy biological diversity of the planet, uh, that's probably going to call for a community. (laughs) And an example is something that they did that I really, really loved is they brought together a group of people who really cared about the fact that all of these birds that migrate and move from way far north into the way far south. So this particular uh, project had to do with uh, moving from the way northern Americas to southern South America. And that there were so many places where the habitats that the birds needed when they migrated were being destroyed. Mm. So deforestation, for instance, in South America. One of the places where this was happening is in places where there was a huge amount of the economy that was based on coffee. And so they really looked at who are the people who have to be smarter together. Mm. And it would be radical collaboration because these are people that not normally think we're on each other's side. (laughs) Right. And so this value of radical collaboration has them, you have to look beyond the people that feel like me and already like me (laughs) and agree with me. No, it's just got to be all people who have a stake in what's happening in this case and the coffee growing communities there that in any way affected the health of birds. And so they brought together social scientists and the ornithologists and the bird lovers and food researchers and coffee growers who all started out uh, not feeling like they were a community, but that they were had to be there to protect their various interests. And the question that they raised was really, how are we potentially better together for each of us and all of us? And are we willing to be radical enough of our thinking to discover that? Because we're starting out not knowing it. And they hosted a huge array of conversations between these people. And they really started to discover that the shade was important to growing the quality of coffee that actually was more commercially viable in the rest of the world. And yet Mm. they had been clearing out forests in order to have more growing ground, which is what destroyed the habitat for the birds. And by them all looking at this together and looking at the science and their commercial desires and the health of the birds and all of it, they really became the proponents of the shade coffee movement, which is now huge. And uh, they're now reforesting all those areas down there and the birds have got a habitat to go to and the coffee growers are happier. And these people that thought they were enemies now have this deep experience of being in that together. I, I think that the, Cornell School of Ornithology is a community of people creating sub-communities to address specific issues that threaten our biological health in the world. Right. All rooted in common values and common purpose. That's that's such another great example of how people who might not think they're in community actually are around a common purpose and, and shared values. 
you you talk in the vitality imperative about um, community being the results of connected leadership, that connected leadership really leads to community. Help us understand that and, and maybe the, you know, the concept of connected leadership and how that really promotes this sense of, of uh, enduring community. Well, the connected leader and the notion of connected leadership starts with a conviction, and that is that the community is always smarter than the smartest individual in it. Mm. That really we are smarter together. And that conviction includes, as you know, the belief in a, a, an equation, which is differences plus trust equal intelligence and occasionally even brilliance. Mm-hmm. So the connected leader is creating an environment in which people trust being with one another in a way that has their differences yield intelligence rather than just arguments. Mm. Uh, and so there are some things I think we've learned that, uh, one, the community that the connected leader is leading, it has to start with a source of connection, which is what's the purpose? <laughs> what is it that has us be here? And the purpose right. is not merely a result. Oh, we're here to grow our business by 10%. What's the fundamental contribution we have to make that would end up growing our business by 10%? Uh, so mm-hmm. it's the first job is to come up with a, a source of belonging that calls people together and has them be open to one another so they can turn their differences into intelligence. Uh, the second thing I think is really crucial is the connected leader has to really care about the return on investment of our mistakes. Because mm. any community that takes on a purpose of consequence is going to mess it up. <laughs> it's going to have mm-hmm. breakdowns. It's going to have shortfalls. And the connected leader says, our job is to always just return the investment of our shortfalls, to come together and discover a lesson that makes the mistake worthwhile. And I think when that happens, that sense of looking out for one another is most tested in the face of breakdown. And so people who traffic and blame and shame and trying to take credit away from other people, those are the destroyers of the connected community. But the people that can take our breakdowns and turn them into learning labs in which people are helping one another actually be stronger as a function of the mistake because of the quality of what we learn from it. Uh, I think that's really important. And then also, are there a handful of values that you will stay true to in good times and bad? Mm-hmm. So one, the connected leader is caring for a purpose and people being smarter together in the context of that purpose. They have the kind of compassion and awareness to realize that our breakdowns are merely a field of play to learn things that make the mistakes worthwhile, which tends to strengthen the community and have people experience that being on each other's side and looking out for one another and be ready to have the values be tested by tough moments. You know, right now in the COVID crisis, there are a lot of companies having to look at, do we mean it about their values and how they're navigating this? Uh, So, I'm not sure if that's responsive to what you asked, but that's what comes up for me about what's the connected leader's role in creating a sense of community that endures. 
Yeah, that's amazing. That's exactly what what I was thinking about. And and you mentioned the word trust in this. And in the book, you talk about creating trust ahead of time. Um, and it, it just seems like such a critical component of this. How do we as connected leaders create trust within that community? You know, we could, it'd be interesting. We could have a whole other conversation about just trust. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. For now, I think that the first experience people have of being trusted is of being received, of being welcomed, as in mm. their point of view is worth understanding, that they have something to contribute, and the people who are in positions of leadership are making it as easy as possible for them to make that contribution. So my initial mm. test for trust is do you consider them to be worth understanding? So people who don't feel understood are not going to experience trust. And a lot of times yeah. we we don't realize that first spot, when the person is saying something that's not what I would say, when they're doing something that's not what I would do, do I research and discover what is legitimate about them if I only stood in their shoes, if I only could experience mm-hmm. what they're experiencing? Without that there is not enduring trust. Yeah, that's so great. You know, Mickey, I'm sitting here thinking in uh, in my brain about this word community and this um this enduring community and and what makes what's the difference between a team and a community? And and there's one example that pops into my mind of working for 3 years with a large construction program. And it all started with a logo. And it's funny because you know, we talk about values and everything, and we had ma- massive conversations, the, the seven executives of this program, about values, how we valued innovation and resolving issues. But just the commonality of um, people taking their their company, back to your original story, not thinking about what company they belong to, but that they were all part of this one program. It was nicknamed M5. I found out later they actually named it after Maroon 5. I'm not sure exactly why we (laughs) named a large construction program after a rock band. Um, But to feel like we had commonality of purpose beyond goals, that there was something, and it it only, I mean, it endured for three years. It wasn't um, the March of Dimes, but it's just really magical when you see people of in a community that are so aligned around that common purpose and and core values. Yeah, there's so much more that can be said, but in the amount of time we have, I think just even asking people to think freshly about where around you have there been communities of purpose that you were grateful to belong to. Mm -hmm. And what have we all learned about those experiments, those experiences, I mean, that end up functioning as experiments that teach us how we can do that again and again. Because I think it's a natural human desire to be in a community. And that means there's a design to it because it's natural and we can apprentice that design and recreate it. Yeah. Mickey, uh, as you said, we could talk about this for a long time. As we're wrapping up and I'm a listener out there, um, I'm thinking about the need to even strengthen this feeling of community during these turbulent times out there. What's one or two tips that you have for a leader out there that is feeling like maybe their community is, is feeling a little shaken or that 
you know, the wheels may be coming off a little bit? Uh, I think it's curiosity about where people are confident and where people are worried and treating those with equal fervor that if we just get in a public conversation where we're confident and where we are worried, where we lack confidence and treat that like it's really worth our discovery, people naturally start to help each other. They start to lean in. And the thing that I'm stuck on, you're not. Uh, The thing that I can't see my way through, suddenly you do. So I think allowing people to be in an open, honest conversation about where they're confident and where they're worried so that it's a public discourse in which people naturally reach out to help one another. Yeah, that's such amazing uh, advice. I know that our listeners are going to um, thoughtfully take that in from you, Mickey. It's always such a pleasure to spend time with you. I really am grateful to you for taking time to come today and talk about community. Thank you very much, Gretchen. Interested in hearing more? Visit us at greatnessconsulting.com. Thank you.